Welcome to Inside Ulster, the rugby podcast from the Bell Tell, with me, Neve Campbell, me, Jonathan Bradley, and me, Adam McKendrick. With expert analysis and special guests, let's kick off. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another packed podcast of Inside Ulster. After yet another weekend of international rugby, we have plenty to discuss and digest on the show today. So Ireland are two from two in the Autumn Internationals. They, of course, won by 18 points at the weekend over a Fiji side who did run Scotland close the previous week. And I think it's safe to say Ulster players were to the fore in the victory, but the Irish head coach Andy Farrell is still not a happy man. With the Belfast Telegraph rugby correspondent Jonathan Bradley alongside me, we'll break it all down. Now, our usual co-host Adam McKendry is benched for this week. He's off enjoying sunny climates on a Gotham break in Spain. But this has given us the opportunity to bring in Gloucester and Ireland hooker Neve Jones, who is, of course, also a Belfast Telegraph columnist, and she's making her first appearance on the podcast this season. So after discussing all the major points from the victory over Fiji, we look ahead to Ireland's final match of the Autumn Internationals against Australia on Saturday at the Aviva. We'll also touch on the latest news from Ravenhill, as Ulster last week confirmed our exclusive story on Stephen Kitchoff. But first, Ireland. So, Jonathan, yet again, you were up close to the action on Saturday. Was the performance in the win over Fiji as bad as it seemed? I think it was bad by the high standards that we hold this Ireland team to, and that we have to hold this Ireland team to. You know, they're ranked the best side in the world. They beat the world champions last week. So, while there is this school of thought that you shouldn't turn your nose up at a win in a test match against any side, let alone a side that does have the talented players that Fiji have. It was just so disjointed. I think the probably the biggest disappointment is that the players did come in from a week ago. The changes that were made didn't maintain the standards that were put down by the team to start the window and really through the last Six Nations, through uh, the summer tour in New Zealand. And just the they didn't really make the most of their opportunities. You know, eight minutes in or over eight minutes inside the opposition 22 is a huge amount of time to have the ball um, in scoring opportunities. And it sounds almost silly to say, but to only come away with five tries, like that's a disappointing return from a team that we know that can attack as well as this Ireland team can. Yeah. And like, not to blame anybody either. Um, Andy Farrell made nine alterations to the starting 15 that did topple South Africa um, amid a mini injury crisis and there were three debuts. So Neve, like, do you think after that sort of emphatic win last week was a come down inevitable, do you think? No, I think I think as Jonathan said, like you, you've got to hold um, your team to a certain standard and I think whether you're coming in new to the squad or you've been there, it's it's the players' jobs to like maintain that and keep to bring the guys who are new in to up to the standards and and keep on driving and keep going up the way as opposed to either leveling out or dipping slightly. Um, I do think that, that Fiji are, are a very difficult team to play against from what we've seen. Like they bring everything, but I do think that the standards are standard Ireland been playing at. They should have be, kept on building on it. I think maybe Neve as well. It'll be interesting to get your viewpoint on this as well. Just as somebody would have experience of it, whereas we wouldn't. Like, how difficult is it when there are that many changes on the one hand and also the other 
just with the early kickoff, like things seem flat, the atmosphere seemed flat. It's a, it's a different way to prepare for a game when it's so much earlier in the day. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that a lot of coaching and management take that into consideration when you do your captain's run and when you train that week to try and make the players in the best possible mindset and physical readiness for the game. So I think that that'll be taken into account. Um, and it's just the players need to get revved up, ready for it. So that you can say, yes, the time the time kickoff was different. I personally prefer an early kickoff. It's just what I do. Um but I do think that those things will be taken into consideration. It's just that when you get there and you pull on the green jersey, you've got to be ready to go. What do you think as well? Because Andy Farrell, you know, is this sort of, I was going to ask, is this as annoyed as we've we've seen him? If that was you, Neve, um, and he sort of, he basically said it was an underwhelming performance. If that was your coach, you know, what would you have, would you have been annoyed at him saying that to the press or what do you think? Do you know, I think I think he's spoken from from the heart there and he's kind of knows how, where the boys are whenever they're training and he's going to keep the boys accountable for keeping standards. So I think I would be not not angry. I think I'd be like upset with my own performance if, if that's what my coach had thought and thought, you know, that's not good enough for me. And I, I personally would probably feel responsible that I need to do a better job at upholding myself on the pitch and keeping those standards there and playing to the best performance. One of the things, because I have it written down here, that he said to the press after was, but for Fiji, being down to 13 men, obviously with the red card and a couple of yellow cards and the penalty count being 14-10 in our favour, we should have been a lot more clinical than we was well, than we were grammatically, but that's what he said we was. <laughs> um, what do you think? Or like, Do you agree with him, Jonathan? Is, is it as annoyed as you think we've ever seen him? John, I think it is because there were... No- an awful lot of times sort of earlier in his tenure whenever there were defeats and whenever results weren't good, that not that he was preaching patience, but he was sort of sticking to that idea of we're on the right track and you're going to see the fruits of that come through soon. And ultimately he was proven right. Like a lot of people, myself included, doubted that uh, they were on the right track sort of, well, probably as recently as 18 months ago, but um he was proven right in that regard, but this was one of the first times I thought we saw him where um, he was sort of visibly frustrated. And I, it was interesting in the sense you could sort of see his mood improve the further away from the game that we got. Like I thought his interview on RTE, he seemed properly annoyed. And then by the time he was doing the sort of live media section, he was more focused on uh the debutants and acknowledging how big a day it was for uh, for those three guys. And then sort of by the end of the media session, which is the, which is the print session, he was probably seeing more of, uh, of the positives or projecting the news, seeing more of the positives maybe rather than seeing them. So that to me really indicates that it was frustration and it was frustration in the moment because the further away he got from the final whistle the happier that he seemed to be yeah and like obviously because we're inside Ulster we're going to focus on the Ulster players and I think and a lot of the media um, across Ireland have said this as well that even though it was like a relatively boring or underwhelming match the Ulster players really did shine what did you what did you think Jonathan yeah like it's one of those games where I think you can almost be better off not being a part of it, if that makes sense, because (laughs) the people that 
played and even the ones that you would have expected to uh, do better guys like Mac Hansen who are in the first choice um, 15 probably took a backward step in terms of where they are in the packing order but and that's the real concern because I think Andy Farrell is probably pretty set on his 23 I'd say he's probably even pretty confident in the guys that are 24 25 26 but it's that sort of 26 to 34 and even wider that um, you want to see to make even getting into the World Cup squad really competitive. But like Nick Timoney is somebody that I thought, one, had a good game, two, has had a good season. Well, a good couple of seasons really, but I think he's been in good form coming into this game. He spoke during the week about how this was a big chance for him and how... He had, knew that he had to seize the opportunity. There was only nine tests left before the World Cup. And he spoke afterwards saying that if he didn't play well, he was aware that it could be the last time he ever plays for Ireland. And I think that's the kind of attitude that you have to bring into these games. And I think he did well to further his cause. Like, he's still going to be behind Josh van der Flyer, who's, you know, European Player of the Year, could be World Player of the Year by uh, this time next week playing in his position but and he's obviously first port of call has to be to get that number 20 jersey which and like I didn't think Jack Conan had a particularly good game but Jack Conan is still a British and Irish Lion so that sort of puts it into context of like the depth in the back row that Nick Timoney has to force his way into but he certainly didn't do his chances any harm Um, yeah I thought like in the first half I thought Kieran Treadwell had a had a pretty good game there's somebody who, depending on where Ian Henderson's at, and like Ian Henderson was name checked by Farrell afterwards, you know, you could still see on the bench against Australia um, this weekend. Um, like Balakun had had some good moments in attack, uh, obviously scored as well. Um, looked sharp a few times, but again, probably suffered from the lack of cohesion that we saw in attack. Uh, Stuart McCloskey, probably the same, had some good moments, but you want to see them playing in a more uh, cohesive attack, which comes with playing in the first choice team rather than a much changed team. So of the people who put their hand up, definitely I thought there was a higher prevalence of Ulster players among yeah. them. Um, but there probably wasn't too many players beyond that contingent <laughs> either, I thought, really. Did anyone, Neve, do you sort of agree? Did anyone, like, did they, did they meet your expectations or were you particularly impressed or underwhelmed by by anyone? No, I think I think Jonathan's covered it there pretty well. Like I think all of the boys did put their hand up and they they really did um take a lot of pride and put a lot of passion into the jersey. Um I think that it as Jonathan said that um you know playing against Fiji and I've said it before like it's gonna be a difficult game to play. They never play like you can't really the analysis on them they're gonna throw off loads that are ridiculous. They're gonna have put big shots in you know that kind of thing. So um, as much analysis work as they can do, it's going to be a hard game to come into because they could literally throw anything at you. So I think coming into that game to play is is going to be a difficult challenge. I think that they all really put their hand up and um, like Stuart McGlusky had a couple of nice carries and a good few offloads. So I think those kind of things should set them in good steads for the upcoming week and um, season ahead. Another thing about Fiji as well, like that makes them difficult to play against, I think is like, the amount of penalties that they give away, like one, yes, it gives you access, 
but it really robbed the game of any uh, sort of rhythm. I thought like 14 penalties and then I think Ireland gave away nine. So that's 25 penalties across the game is an awful lot. And that, I think, made it hard as well for Ireland to get into any sort of rhythm because everything was so sort of stop-start too. One thing as well, like, and this is this is a personal opinion of a lot of rugby, uh, Ulster rugby fans, sorry, is that John Cooney should be in nine over Craig Casey because he's immense at all times for Ulster. Um, thoughts, question mark, Jonathan? <laughs> yeah, to, to be honest, like, I know obviously, like, Ulster fans are still very invested in John Cooney's international hopes, but, like, from the last couple of times that I've been talking to him about it, I don't think he is. Like, I think he sort of used that ship as having sailed. Like, obviously, there's the possibility of him turning out for Scotland uh, yeah. halfway through the Six Nations as well, which um, we'll have to see. It is a, um, a law that Scotland have already um, taken advantage of with their squad. Um for this autumn, we saw Dempsey coming off the bench against the All Blacks yesterday. So, like, there is that avenue available to him. Scotland have shown a willingness to go down that road. So, I just I don't think he's in the conversation. You know, Caelan Blade was there. Um, Nathan Doak was training with the squad on top of the three nines that we've uh, that we've seen during this autumn already. So, I think as much as Ulster fans do like to point to his form in the white jersey. I don't think it's relevant almost for for a, in an Ireland sense because I think he'll probably admit this himself. I don't think he's going to play for Ireland ever again. I know some people have one friend and I know he'll be listening in particular. He says, you know, he questions is there an issue between him and the IRFU there? But speculation, do you not think? <laughs> speculation would be one way of putting it. I mean, there's obviously, uh, you know, nine and ten is... Uh, very important relationship on the field and there has to be a connection between the two players playing there you know we've seen for years how good a connection Murray and Sexton had on the field maybe that's not replicated with Sexton and Cooney perhaps and um, I don't think there's any argument to be made about how important Sexton still is to the Ireland team we probably saw a little bit of that again at the weekend so if it's not felt that you jail particularly well with Johnny Sexton, it's not going to do your Ireland hopes any good either. Speaking of Johnny Sexton as well, um, you know, Joey Carberry, how naive do you think he got on? You know, who do you think is the natural successor there? That's really that's a really good question. Like I I've watched Joey Carberry play for Munster for for a good few years and he always tears it up and he sees space and things that aren't on. And I think that he's been riddled with a good few injuries over the year, unfortunately over the years, unfortunately. But I think any time that he, he pulls on the jersey, you know, he does he does a great job. And I think that Johnny Sexton is world class and um I think everyone in the world could admit that. Um but coming into that slot and trying to fill his boots is a big thing to sh- to step into. And I think he's doing a really good job and hopefully he can stay a bit injury free and continue to to build on the relationships he's got with the nines, the twelves, whoever he's playing with, um, for the years to come and continue to like grow as that player. O'Brien as well played well at 15, but Mike Lowry, he's like one of the most on-form players in Europe at the minute. Do you know, do you think, Neve, that he can be overlooked? Well, I think that obviously he had a, a few, he was in camp throughout the Six Nations and that kind of thing. Um, I personally think he's an unbelievable player. He, Yes, he's small and I know people always say things about size, but the impact he has, like his acceleration, his like, he's he's creative when it, he gets ball in hand and defensively he's solid. So I think 
he's definitely he's definitely something someone to look at. Um, like he had a great game. I think it was Italy. He got his debut against. Um, he had a fantastic game, and I think it's just constantly building his confidence to to make big decisions and and keep on tearing up on the field in the white jersey to to grow as a player and um do so hopefully in the green jersey in years to come. What do you think then? Just sort of touching on with the Australia game coming up because Andy Farrell is gonna name his final Ireland team of twenty twenty two on Thursday. What what are your predictions for? Obviously, I mean, he's going to go for an extremely strong team. You'd like to think, Jonathan, what do you think? Yeah, I think he'd probably go as close as to South Africa as he can, really. Like, um, obviously, he's not going to have Joey Carberry. He's not going to have Robbie Henshaw. And there's still sort of these doubts around, you know, Josh Van der Flyer, Johnny Sexton, Andrew Porter, James Ryan. So those guys didn't train last week my gut feeling would be that those four guys are all going to play so I think the real decision to be made and it's going to be a really interesting one is going to be between Bondiaki who's available again after suspension and Stuart McCluskey like I think that the right message to send would be that Bondiaki has to win the jersey back off McCluskey after his suspension and I would like to see McCluskey get another run with Gary Ringrose outside him and hopefully Saxton playing at uh, playing at 10 because obviously he only got the half hour, less than half an hour against uh, South Africa in that first choice team. And elsewhere, like I don't really see too many other changes in the starting team to what we saw from, or sorry, not, not changes, but I don't see too many decisions to be made compared to that starting team from South Africa. I think if he can, fitness permitting, he'll just bring that group all back and then there's no replacement called up in the squad for Joey Carberry so that means that you're pretty much nailed on to see Jack Crowley on the bench I thought had a pretty decent uh, decent run on debut when he came on with 35 minutes to go mm-hmm. and then yeah you mentioned Jimmy O'Brien Jimmy O'Brien is going to be an interesting one whether he stays at 23 because he has to go through the return to play protocols should be able to train tomorrow they're saying so it'd be interesting to see whether he gets the 23 jersey, whether Mikey Laurie possibly gets the 23 jersey, or what I think is probably most likely is that we see McCluskey start and Bundy Aggie actually get the 23 jersey because Farrell has shown, I don't quite understand it myself, but like he's shown a real desire to always have a centre on the bench. Normally you would want more versatility, I think, um, in that what is normally the sort of back three player on the bench, but Farrell seems to like having a centre there. so. I'm guessing that we'll see uh, we'll see Bondiak either. Neve, what do you think? Is there anyone that you you definitely want to see? Is there anyone you'd be annoyed if they if they weren't in the team? Put it that way. What are your predictions? Yeah, no, I think they'll go with a similar team to they had against South Africa um, to try and like keep that cohesion and that strength going. I do think they might throw a few of the guys that played well last week and be on the bench. Um, obviously, the likes of Josh Van der Fleer, you always love to see him take to the field like. Um, not only is he a really nice guy, absolutely tears it up and he does a lot of the unseen work, I think. Um, and his carries, you know, just an all round great player. So I think I'd like to see him um if he's available to play. Um, because I always enjoy watching him play, you know, forwards like forwards work, you know, that kind of stuff. Um so that's probably who I'd like to see back playing, all being well. Um, but I do think it'll be pretty similar to what we've seen against South Africa. And you both got the the Guinness writers. Uh, 
player of the year award too so that's <laughs> yeah yeah that's actually I bumped, I bumped into him that night funnily enough we were in the same place same time kind of thing and we just had a quick catch up because I'd seen him a couple of times in other events or whatever but it's always nice to get a catch up with him and see how he's getting on and he's always very very chappy and um asked me a lot of questions about rugby so you know we've got we've got a lot in common when it comes to the rugby side of things um moving on to like we're going to have a wee bit of our, our Ravenhill rant as, as we call it, and um, sort of Jonathan and I were chatting earlier, it's a wee bit similar to what we ranted about last week in a different sort of context. Um, so for those that don't know, the Fiji coach, Vern Cotter, questioned the decision to send his player, Albert, to a C, I think I'm saying his name right, to a C off five minutes after half time for a head high shot, which forced Joey Carberry off for a head injury assessment that ended Carberry's game. Despite World Rugby's ongoing concerns about concussion and their insistence that referees crack down on reckless headshots, the Kiwi bizarrely seemed to deviate from the accepted wisdom that his player fully deserved to see the line. So he said, was there foul play? What's the question? Is there a head? I don't know. There is a meeting after this series about the state of the game and we need to sit down and talk about it. People around rugby need to sit down and talk about what's best. At the moment, it's tough. So when we talked about this last week, we were talking about when the referee didn't send off Ches and Colby or Pieter Steph de Troyes after they combined to dump Mac Hansen on the back of his neck. You know, now the ref has done something about a considerably dangerous tackle and the other coach is questioning it. So Jonathan, you know, do you think there's anything in what he's saying? No, I think it's actually quite bizarre. Like, I understand the idea that you should feel the need to stick up your stick up for your player, not hang out the dry or anything. But for a coach to be asked, should that have been a red card, and to say, "Yeah, we've no complaints about that," you know, that's not uh, hanging your player out the dry. And the fact of the matter is, Fiji have got six cards in two games, so there is an obvious problem with discipline, and. For me, I would just wonder if part of that problem with discipline comes from the top, if it is the head coach saying things like, well, we're not even sure that is a penalty, when there's 51,000 people in a stadium that didn't even, I think, debate whether that was a red card. It was one of the more obvious red cards that I think you'll see in this window, and there have been a number even over the weekend like that were fairly nailed on, but whenever there's such an obvious need to change the attitudes in the game around high tackles and around dangerous tackles, I just think it's a massive backward step for a coach to come out and question whether that should be a red card because it just plants that seed of doubt in people's minds, I think, about what they've seen themselves, what they think themselves. If somebody as experienced as Vern Cotter is coached not just Fiji internationally, but Scotland as well, mm-hmm. coached sides as big as Claremont and Montpellier. And if you see somebody of that stature questioning whether that's a red card, I think it's natural that other people will do the same. And that's my main issue with it, I think. Just the fact that rugby has to be so clear in this discussion and so clear in what is and isn't acceptable. So to have somebody of that experience go ahead and question that sort of tackle when it's 100% a red card, mm-hmm. I think is damaging to the game. And it's difficult. It makes it very difficult for referees as well. Like it's not quite Razzy Erasmus Twitter dissection levels of difficult, <laughs> but it's it's not great either. What Do you think it was up for debate at all, Neve? Well, listen, there was a shoulder to your head. And I think that referees have a, a very hard decision these days because obviously they want to keep the game flowing. But safety is the first rule of rugby, basically. So 
the player's been shot to the head with a shoulder with no, I think it's the words of mitigating, I can't really pronounce it right, um, with no mitigating factors, um, then I think it is a red card and refs are keeping players safer and really pushing the boundaries of that tackle height. So I think I think personally it was a red card. Um, I can see why coaches might be annoyed or angry or whatever they're feeling at that because obviously they're a player down, but safety first. So um, I think the right call was made and listen, there's a head injury now because of it. So it's just one of those things and they've just got to prepare again for next week. Because this is such an ongoing issue, like it's constantly talked about in World Rugby, does that transfer over to the women's game as well, Neve? Like, do you know, do you find do you find it personally a problem in, in any of the games you've played? You know, have you been been involved with or have you seen any questionable tackles yourself or questionable red cards? Um, I think not so much with the we've obviously had like cards like if you watch the World Cup or the Six Nations past there, um, there were cards in several games and you know, these things happen. I do think that a lot of emphasis on the players themselves to drop that tackle out because we all know what happens if there's any kind of connection day ahead. It's going to be a penalty, a red card, a yellow card, whatever. So I think a lot of emphasis on that. And you do see it in the women's game. Um, Touchwood, not so many red cards. Um, we're looking more around the yellow, but they, they do happen. And as a result, we, we at Gloucester Harper here, we have fantastic medical staff that do the best look after us if, that unfortunately does happen and we're very lucky in that situation um, to have those guys in place um, but so far so good at this start of the season yeah and then sort of moving on though we're going to go back to some Ulster Ulster specific Ulster relevant news um, and they have confirmed the signing of South African World Cup winning prop Stephen Kitchoff he's agreed a three-year deal and he will join the United Rugby Championship province after next year's World Cup in France um, Jonathan, what what do you know of Stephen Kitchoff? What you know, how excited should fans be? I think he's a brilliant player. He's uh, one of the best in the world in his position and in a position that I think also probably needed um, a bit of depth. It's probably one of the lighter areas of the squad, just in terms of well, even URC experience, let alone uh, European experience and Test experience, where it's really just Eric O'Sullivan's one. Cap is the only test appearance of any of the Ulster loose heads. So I think it's a huge sign. Like we joked a wee bit <laughs> last week after he didn't have the best of days against Ireland. But um, obviously, whenever he gets here, you're expecting him to be the player that he's been for a number of years rather than the player that he was uh, in the Aviva last Saturday. Like, and um, it's a real statement of intent um, in terms of recruitment from Ulster because this is something that. I think it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on in the next couple of years because we're seeing an awful lot more star players, I think, like real genuine star players coming to the ERC than we maybe would have expected. You know, Atzabeth probably being the prime example last year or last year coming into this season, going to the Sharks. And the financial situation of the English Premiership being what it is, the salary cap in the English Premiership being what it is, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether the knock-on effect of that is whether we do see more sort of what you would really say are world-class players ending up at the ERC clubs. And then sort of we wanted to touch, obviously, especially with you on as the expert, on women's rugby. And unfortunately, Ireland were not in the World Cup, but England suffered some some close heartbreak at the weekend when New Zealand beat them 34 to 31. Did you watch the match? Yeah, I got up and a few of the my teammates came around and we had some breakfast together and watched the game and 
you know, it was a spectacle of a show. And I think that it, it like obviously New Zealand won and it's cliche to say, but I think women's rugby is the real winner overall. Um, like they put on an absolute storm of a show. There were upwards of 40, up close to 45,000 people there watching, plus many more on tuning on, on TV from over here and around the world. So unfortunately for England and, and my heart breaks for them, like it was a very close match and they, they put their heart on hearts on their sleeve and, were there to the very last whistle so unfortunately didn't bring it home but they've got everything to be proud of because they really fought to the last whistle do you think as well because I know the the England captain Sarah Hunter you know she was sort of swollen back tears and she said what pretty much what you're saying Neve, and that you know you can't expect nations now not to go and invest in their teams when you have got a showcase of women's rugby in a final in front of 40,000 plus people I think as well there was a lot riding on it because obviously in football the Lionesses brought it home as it were in summer so they were sort of hoping to do that as well um do you think that this this is going to help push it on because obviously you're over in Gloucester there like do you see an improvement even even in the time you've been at your club um yeah definitely like the even the short time I've been here the amount of I want to say like specialist training or um extra I want to say curricular but it doesn't sound right but the extras that we've had from from the club have been fantastic and they're only going to grow as the girls come back, as we're going to like start pushing for positions and for that starting Jersey week in, week out. And just also just driving the general standard of rugby. Um, a couple of weeks ago when we were playing, I think we were playing Exeter at home. We had over 200 youth girls come to watch our game. They trained in the morning and then they watched and 200 under 16 girls there was just unbelievable to see. And that's the next generation of the female game coming through and as keen as ever and filled with life just to to be there and want to chat to you after the game and just excited about every little thing in the rugby in rugby. No, that's class. And then as well, Neve, because I want to talk to you about, I think a lot of people maybe don't know this, but you and I knew each other prior to, to sports journalism and all the rest of it because you came to play Gaelic football for East Belfast GA, which is who I play for as well. And you had never played Gaelic in your life. And I obviously didn't know you the first day I met you and I didn't even know you played rugby. And it was just so funny. You just got the ball and you crailed it like a rugby ball and you just absolutely bulldozed through people. And um, your nickname was was Vinnie Jones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so for anyone listening, like what what did you think of Gaelic football when you were playing it in comparison to, to rugby and like the different training that's involved? Because now you know. Yeah, definitely. Like I think... Uh, uh... I can remember back that far. Do you know, I absolutely loved it. And any referee, I think they, they put me in the midfield and the ref said to me, they're like, I've never seen a hooker play in the midfield before. And I was like, I can tell you why. There's a lot of running involved there, but I absolutely loved it. It was like a bit of a, it's kind of similar to rugby, but with a lot more running um, and a lot less contact, which I think Neve will agree that it took me a few weeks to get that rule if I ever did eventually get there. Um you know so I really enjoyed it um, a lot more running in Gaelic and uh, uh, the skill set of soloing the ball I still am yet to master um, but I think I took a lot of strengths from what I learned in Gaelic and took them back into the rugby field and I think they've set me in good stead and now I'm able to tell people that I did have a stint at Gaelic rugby for <laughs> or Gaelic football for one summer and um, people are looking at me like and how'd you find it and I absolutely would go back if I ever got the chance um, and to try and fit it in uh, but absolutely loved it and I don't think I've ever run more in 60, 70, 80 minutes in my life. I think it's something that we could see more of. Like, obviously, with, um, I suppose, the profile of women's rugby now and the sort of belated professionalism coming into the game, like, 
probably more from people that would have been more familiar with the game than you or whatever. You started playing like people who've grown up playing uh, playing Gaelic games that it could be an area that Irish rugby especially could tap into. Yeah, definitely. And I know I've played with, against, you know, a lot of girls that have come from that GAA background. Um, and, you know, what the, the transferable skills are unbelievable. Like the, the, how far they can kick the ball, just their general running direction, change of direction is unbelievable. And I think that a lot of the guys that have played have done the same. So I think there's definitely something there that could be done across the two sports. Um, and even if you tie like Kamogi or, or Hurling in there too, that's another another layer to it. And I think that being able to have those transferable skills is unbelievable and it will set you in good steads for any sport you really want to play. There is sort of like, it's it's sort of a common thing that um, we still, these Belfast, like GA, they still have a lot of girls from Malone Rugby Club. Um, but a, a lot of men and women that rugby is their main sport in the off season, they go to Gaelic training, even if they don't want to play games because they find it sort of keeps them ticking over. And um, just even there with what you're saying, Eve, I, I remember you being in midfield and I was centre half back and Cousin Eve, for anyone that doesn't know, Eve's like five foot two and <laughs> midfielders tend to be very tall. So I remember marking girls and I think they maybe like would underestimate you and they'd be like, oh, like, you know, you've got a very small team or whatever. And I was like, just you wait. Tall <laughs> and slim in the midfield and I'm quite the opposite. I was like trying to shift myself around the pitch but I'm so competitive I was like she's not getting away from me I'm going to get her and try my very best to chase them down and I think I just tried to stop the other team getting the ball other than me transferring the ball to my teammates oh you're brilliant at catching the ball but you were a pocket rocket and then even with the <laughs> one thing too I remember I would run and also I know you're saying there's a lot of running there is a lot more running for a midfielder than a centre half back but I remember you saying that like you couldn't really solo so I would run alongside Neve, and she would like so you have to bounce the ball take three steps and then solo, you can't double bounce. But I knew once I saw her take a bounce, I was like, I have to get next to her because she can't yeah. solo. So she would pass yeah. it to me and I would literally pass it straight back <laughs> and then pass it back to me. And then that's, but here we got great success with it. And you, Ooh, it worked well. It did work well. Good, good tactics. And, you know, if you were still playing for us, I wouldn't, I wouldn't reveal that tactics for, for fear that. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't reveal the fact I can't solo the ball. So, you know, I just, I'll just have to like <laughs> learn to solo it if I ever go back to play. I must say, I've never actually personally played, like maybe the odd bit of tag rugby myself, but I, I think I'd be a bit too scared going and trying and playing rugby with uni if you'd soon show me. <laughs> you'd be grand, honestly. You'd be 100%. You know, there's somewhere for everyone on a rugby pitch. And transferable skills between the sports. Um, well, Gaelic players, you might agree with this. Gaelic players make great rugby players. Rugby players don't necessarily make good Gaelic players. <laughs> I don't know. I think, yeah, it's sweeping generalisation, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it goes one way more than the other, I'll tell you that much. Um, well, that is all we have time for this week on Inside Ulster. Remember, though, you can catch up with all the latest news, views and analysis. And of course, Neve and Jonathan's columns on belfasttelegraph.co.uk or pick up the paper. And we will be back next week with a review of the Australia match and plenty more. Adam will be back from sunny Spain at that stage too. Although people won't be able to see his tan, we'll be able to describe it to you. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.